to give our listeners a peek behind the curtain mm. because a couple weeks ago we uploaded our scenes episode and we were like hey welcome back it's season two we're so glad to be back um when did we record that episode it was definitely not recent <laughs> it like was like august like, like august or something yeah um this is really to kind of give you a listeners at home how the sausage is made we're going to show you all the pig lips that are inside a, a CVC episode. Do but pigs have lips? Uh, you know what? Let's skip that. I don't want to think about it. I was going to say something that we would both regret for the rest of our <laughs> lives. So we'll skip that. <laughs> let's actually do the updates now. So yeah. Uh, yeah, let's tell the folks about what is actually currently happening in your life. What's actually currently happening is I have a three-month-old daughter. She's very cute. Her name is Aliza. She will undoubtedly join for future episodes and make cute little gurgling noises or perhaps scream because babies do that too sometimes. That's exactly what you and I do every episode <laughs> of this show. So she will be a, co- a third co-host. Yeah, she'll be. She'll have a lot to contribute. E- you know, Ethan's always like, I really like Feist. And I'm like, meh. <laughs> And that's that's what the show is. Yeah. Welcome to uh, a new dawn featuring a new host. Right. Lisa Karatash. An additional um, additional baby. Let me uh, giving a congratulations doesn't count until you do it on a podcast. So <laughs> let me officially uh, congratulate you on uh, thank you the birth of your baby Goyle. I, I did all the hard work as the father. I think that's generally the calculus. So I will take full credit. Yeah, you uh, you you were there. I was there. Yes. Boy, was it tough. <laughs> yeah. Um, but for those of you wondering, my lovely wife, Aleph, is doing incredibly well and is a happy mom. So we're all good. Happy family. It's good stuff. And uh, on my end, Nora and I bought a new dresser. Yep. And you're back in the classroom, like working in person. Yeah, I guess it has been quite a yeah. while since we've recorded these. So yeah, I'm back in the classroom, which is very nice, of course. Um, well, uh, speaking of school, which is a place <laughs> where I teach, uh, speaking of poisoning the minds of the youth, <laughs> our theme today is school. And specifically, our theme is four different subjects of school. I would put our show, I would put our episodes into two different buckets. Mm. One of the buckets is hardcore music history stuff Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then the other bucket is whimsical bullshit and uh (laughs) guess guess who generally comes up with the whimsical bullshit ones uh it's me it's me well you're you're a whimsical bullshitter Um, but actually i'm the one who came up with this this one i guess it was i was putting a uh a peace branch in order to come on back ethan i promise we won't talk about uh boogie woogie music boogie woogie music (laughs) i promise I promise you I won't make you do 10 hours of research for this uh, episode. In <laughs> fact, yet. another peek behind the curtain at how the sausage gets made, because we're in a sausage factory with curtains. I, you know, <laughs> when I open the curtain, you see the sausage machine. <laughs> 
a little peek behind the curtain. I did no research for this oh, today. Nice. Um, okay. I'm, just, I'm, I'm just beating gonna, you then. Yeah, I'm just going to be pulling from my my general knowledge about these groups, and I'll Wikipedia as we go, so I can call you out for any things that are wrong. If you can, uh, listeners, if you can ever increase the volume like up to 100 when you're listening to this, you can sometimes hear us feverishly typing in a panic, <laughs> trying to find last minute research stuff. Yeah. Okay. So our theme today is school and the four categories. Ethan, do you want to tell us? I do. They are subjects that you might encounter in your high school days. So we're going to start with math class. Then we are going to go to science. Boo. Afterwards, <laughs> boo. <laughs> afterwards, you're going to have to get your feelings out. So we're going to go to drama and then we're going to round off the day with some physical education. Yes. Thank God you're doing it at the end of the day and not in the middle of the day like I used to do. And I, as a notoriously sweaty person, <laughs> we're friends than I would have otherwise. That's a nice transition to something that, you know, we don't have to get too deep into it. But I do want a, a quick rundown of what these subjects were like for you in school. Did you like math and science in high school? Were you, were you like, I'm a math and science kid and I hate the feelings crew? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I'm a math I was, and I was pretty ostracized from most things in high school. <laughs> yeah. I would say the thing I liked the most was science. I took some AP physics and chemistry classes and stuff. I really liked that a lot. I was bad at math, which made my decision to go into biology rather than chemistry or physics in college much easier. Which is the English <laughs> of the sciences. It is totally, 100%. And then gym class, any sport in high school was torture because I went through puberty when I was 17. So I spent most <laughs> of high school being like very scrawny and weak uh, and made fun of constantly. <laughs> me too. Um, but I was at such a small school that there just weren't enough people to pile on me. Um, oh, that's good. And, and that's all my good. schoolmates were freaks too. But um, so you were bad at math. Weren't you good at geometry though? I remember one time you monologuing about, you were like, geometry is easy just formulas you plug in the formulas and I remember being like yeah that's that's what you do <laughs> I mean I that is true for geometry at least mm -hmm. I don't know it's sort of like sine cosine here are some lines Ugh, area of a square area of a circle I don't know uh, geometry felt easier than anything more advanced but again that's me talking as a person who sucks at math so maybe <laughs> I just thought it was easy and I was actually completely wrong so then here's another question. Who is your favorite teacher in school? It's a really good question. So I wouldn't say she was my favorite teacher, but I had an English teacher my sophomore year. So she structured assignments such that she only ever graded you on three aspects of your work. Mm -hmm. No matter how long the assignment was, no matter how complex the assignment was, because mm -hmm. her philosophy was, if I'm teaching you and I'm asking you to do all of these things really well, you're not going to be able to focus on any one thing. And right. she used this metaphor for skiing. And she said, I went on a skiing trip. I had a ski instructor and my ski instructor said, we're going to go through three things on your very first day of skiing, how to go straight, how to turn your skis in and how to turn your skis out. Mm -hmm. And once we get one of those things down, then we're going to replace it with a new thing. Right. And so our very first assignment in that class, what were you graded on? Put the date, put your name <laughs> and format your paper correctly. And literally <laughs> nothing else, which yeah. is ridiculous. But at the same time, for me, it was like, okay, so when I'm teaching people, especially when you're passionate about a subject, you want to throw the kitchen sink at yeah. people. You want to tell them everything that you possibly know. You're listening to a podcast. You're probably familiar with this approach. <laughs> um, 
But really what you want to do is boil it down to just a few things, yeah. repeat those things over and over. And then once you've got mastery of one of those things, you replace it with a new thing. Right. And then it feels approachable. And for me, that like has just served me so well in my own learning, but also in my instructing other people and like teaching yeah. other people things. That was a clever and very kind of like hooky way to also communicate to the students. Like I'm here yeah. to help you succeed and I'm yeah. going to break it down for you. That's cool. Yeah. What about you? What's your like teacher inspiration story? My seventh grade teacher, Mr. Smith, who is basically the reason why we have this show. Like he taught me mm. about all of the indie rock music that I learned to love as a kid. He taught me about pavement and he just blew the doors open for me. But also he helped me realize for the first time, like when we read of Mice and Men and Lord of the Flies, that was the very first time the way he taught those books, I was like, oh, when you read something, there are more than, there's more than one layer. Hmm. And that was like such a transformative thing for me yeah. to go like, oh, great works of art require you to sit and think about the levels on which they're operating. Hmm. Yeah. And that's a pretty revolutionary thing to get across to a 13 year old, you know? So cool. Yeah. It's a different way of looking at not yeah. just text, also, but, the, but the world, you know, it's also like a good reminder to have to just think back and be like, oh, yeah, because now, you know, you consume things not in the context of a classroom. And you're just kind of like, did I like it? Did I not like it? What was it right. about? Okay, next thing. Right. But really, it's like the author or the performer or the musician or whoever has ideally like put a lot of time and effort into details and layering different meaning and it's right. cool to spend time analyzing it. Again, listeners of our show probably are aware that we <laughs> ought like to know. And you know, the eight artists, to transition quite smoothly, the eight artists we've chosen today all do that. They all create works of art that are worthy of uh, discussion on multiple levels. <laughs> Nothing is smoother than a transition you have to explain. Yeah, you see, listeners, we were talking about one thing earlier, <laughs> and then I had to move us on to the next thing. And I use what's called a transition. Um, yeah, let's, you want to hop to it? Yeah, I'll start us off. So we are, the bell has rung. Yes. We're going to class. Oh my God. class of the day. Ugh, math. Did you just... Math during first. Math. It's 8.30 during... a.m. I don't want to do math. Can you imagine math during first period? Miserable. Ugh, awful. Yeah, not geometry though. So speaking of math, I kind of cheated with this one, but it is a very good song. So the song I chose is called Emotions and Math, and it's by an artist named Margaret Glaspie. She's a two-timer on this show. She is, yeah. And it's easy to see why if you mm. listen to this album, the album also named Emotions and Math. So Margaret Glaspie is a singer, songwriter, guitar player, multi-instrumentalist, actually, from Sacramento originally. She grew up, started playing the fiddle, learned the trombone, eventually switched to playing guitar, and that became her main focus when she was in her teens and went to Berklee College of Music. Yet another Berkeley person. I feel like we should have some sort of like running list of all the Berkeley grads or Berkeley attendees. But yeah. anyway, Berkeley for her was not the ideal scenario. She actually ended up dropping out, which is also uh, happens. Yeah. Not not too uncommon is like sort of a genre of musician. I feel like, like it's the, a badge of honor, I think, for yeah. a lot of creative people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. She dropped out. She bopped around Boston and then eventually released this album, which was her debut. It was really well received by a lot of music critics. Pitchfork said that it was indebted to Liz Fair, which I think is 
no pun intended. I think it's fair in some ways. Um, <laughs> it's a little a lot of her songs. It's a little lazy, I think. <laughs> I think that was no, 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 not your pun. Your your pun oh. was uh, phenomenal. No, I I uh, thought. <laughs> now I'm gonna start cr- criticizing your puns. No, I think that uh, comparison's a little lazy. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's sort of easy to be like, this is like a wispy white woman with a guitar. Like mm-hmm. I think her guitar playing and songwriting is a lot more complex. But at the same time, the variation from song to song, I think, is less varied than some of Liz Fair's work. And one thing that I, I would say is really in contrast is that Liz Fair, especially in Exile from Guyville, it was like all over the place. Like she'd go from being this like hyper empowered, hyper sexualized woman to this very sad and very scared and very longing person and partner. And this album, Emotions and Math, is all Margaret Glasby being really anxious, right. like hyper, <laughs> yeah. hyper anxious and sensitive about her relationships. And this is kind of the centerpiece of the album. A lot of her songs, especially on this album, are really beautifully written, are really tense, as I was saying. And her voice, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like very raspy. And for, for those who didn't listen to the episode that we first talked about her, you used her as a counterpoint to Dave Matthews because you said she had the same category, but less horrible Dave Matthews type voice. Yeah. Yeah. And I think she knows how to use it. There's actually a point yeah. in this song at the beginning, I think of the third verse where she like really leans into it and she lets mm. the kind of like shards of broken glass gurgle around in her throat and she but just it, does this it, like really cool thing it feels good though the voice yeah, feels it, good i've gotta get out of this tree off of this limb i'm a woman acting like a kid getting back to the the whole theme here we're in math class the (laughs) lyrical content the way in which she is talking about math is again obsessive anxious counting she literally says counting all the days till you're back about this lover who's gone away this partner who's gone away and she's just so anxious that they're gone yeah this was so good i really loved this first of all yeah lyrically i think all very well said. And I also think, you know, this could have been our our English class one as well, because her metaphors are very organic and casual, but they work so well with the story she's telling, counting all the days till you're back shivering in an ice cold bath of emotions and math. And then also I've got to get out of this tree off of this limb. I'm a woman Mm -hmm. acting like a kid, a skinny mess. And then also like, she's such a good guitarist. She really is. Yeah, she has so many good guitar lines in this song. The swing of the song and the way how how tight her guitar playing is with the bass and the drums, it almost feels like she's playing all the instruments herself it's mm-hmm. so unified it just sounds I, I she love doesn't it. have like a consistent strumming pattern 
which I find really cool. I think Courtney Barnett does similar things in her guitar playing, but she's a little more going with the flow and popping in and out with her chords or her melodies. And it, it's very different than somebody just strumming along, staying on a certain beat or doing a certain strumming pattern. Right. It's, it's really more dynamic than that. It's really yeah. cool. This is great. I really cool. liked it. Yeah. Let's talk about your song. Sure. My choice is Apostolic by Loose Fur. So uh, this could have also doubled as the religion class choice if we were in a Catholic school, because uh, apostolic means of or relating to the apostles. Loose Fur. <laughs> so this uh, song is from an album with, I would venture to say, is the best album title of the episode, Born <laughs> Again in the USA. I'm surprised they were able to get away with that. It's so good. It's such a funny title. But um, Loose Fur is a goofy, casual side project of Jeff Tweedy of Wilco fame. So it's him singing and playing guitar along with Wilco drummer Glenn Kochke, who we've seen before on this show in the I Am Trying to Break Your Heart song, the guy who is doing the kind of like weird rolling fragmented drum stuff. So it should be no surprise that the drum work in this song is amazing. third guy in this little project is Jim O'Rourke, who is someone I'm not super familiar with, but is a cult legend of Chicago. He's a multi-instrumentalist, a singer-songwriter with dozens of albums that he's been putting out since the 80s. And I think this was just a project where Jeff Tweedy was like, hey, I want to work with you, fellow Chicago legend. Let's uh, mm. their first album came out in 2003 and it was pretty casual, pretty goofy. And then they got back together in 2006 and these albums were on Drag City, which we've talked about before on this show, one of our four legendary labels. This album is a lot more ambitious, a lot more detailed, and it goes in a lot of crazy different directions. And on the song I chose, which is called Apostolic, again, they go in a particular direction that I would describe as... Well, Ethan, do you uh, do you know at all why I chose this song for this particular category? Is it because it sounds like math rock? Yes, because <laughs> okay. it is extremely. I, was, I like had no idea, and that was the only thing that I could come up with after I heard the song and I looked at the lyrics. Math rock is an outgrowth of 80s and 90s underground, of hardcore, post-hardcore. And apparently Steve Albini, according to Wikipedia, was uh, pretty formative uh, with his bands, Big Black and mm. Shellac. I guess I'm a casual admirer of mm. math rock. Math rock came a lot from King Crimson and Yes and kind of the early prog rock stuff where you're having a lot of time signature shifts and stuff like that. But then the math rock bands that came later in the 90s and stuff like that, Drive Like Jehu, Slint uh, kind of became a math rock group. Farquet is, is a group that I really like. But math rock can be pretty heady, 
pretty unpleasant, <laughs> pretty academic. I love this song, Apostolic, because there's no denying it's it's fucking crazy, right? It like goes in 10 different directions within the first minute mm-hmm. of the song. Mm-hmm. But what I really like about this particular song is it stays really organic. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you noticed the part where it transitions after the crazy jagged part, it slides into this really nice finger picking acoustic part. But then yeah. you calm down and then they like blast back into it and just pummel you in the face before it ends. And ironically, Wilco, at the time Lucifer came out in 2006, Wilco was going in a more like dad rock, adult contemporary mm-hmm. jammy direction. So he was kind of getting this out of his system. But then 10 years later, Wilco just started doing this as Wilco. They were doing like right. more noisy, weird, math rocky kind of stuff. I love this song. I'm obsessed with it. And I think if my math teacher, when I was a math student, had played me math rock and made me think about time signature changes in uh, indie rock songs, I probably would be a mathematician now. So that's my choice. What you, would you think of this song? Yeah, I really liked it. I mean, this sounds really dumb, but anytime I have to like really think hard about the time signature of a song, I kind mm-hmm. of like it. It's just right. it, I like music that <laughs> like kind of challenges your, yeah, it's like a little bit of a puzzle. It's kind of like music that challenges your brain a little bit. And it's not just obvious when you can't predict the ending of something or you can't predict the next thing. It always feels a little exciting. Yeah. You know, that's like why this is going to sound really dumb. This is why I really like the show Scandal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was so off the wall, like every episode, the a thing that was so ridiculous, you could have never predicted that it would right. happen, happened. And so in the same way, music like this, there's no way they could go from this to that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and then you want do. to listen to it again and, yeah. you know, watch like, how the do they song. do that? Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's basically a Wilco song. So it's not as like wanky as some mm-hmm. prog rock or math rock. It's not as alienating. It feels completely unbound and wild, but right. very melodic still and playful and welcoming. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's my math choice. Um, nice. Tie? Tie. They're just like very different. Yeah. All right. That was math. I will transition us over to science. Science, especially bio and marine bio, uh, the, the class I liked in high school, anatomy and physiology, involves a lot more coloring than you probably remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will say, especially in like, sixth seventh grade all of my science classes were just like anatomy class it was just like here's a human body color it in so you can tell me what the different organs are here's a cell color in the different parts of the cell here's a fish (laughs) the thing about science that everybody hates is like there's a moment in your science class career and it's generally like freshman or sophomore year of high school where things start to go from things you can see and observe to things you cannot see or observe. Mm-hmm. So it's like in physics class, right? You're like, okay, if I drop a ball on the ground, how high will the ball bounce? You're like, mm-hmm. okay, I get it. And then by the end of that year, it's like, if I apply a force to this atom, 
And then there's a counter force of friction that's mm-hmm. provided by air. And you're like, I don't fucking care anymore. <laughs> that was me. Yeah, you that's know, most people. Although it was definitely not 10cc, the band that I chose. Oof. Yeah, this song is so good. Oh my God. Oh, you like it? I'm glad. I really liked it. Question, what is the best part of this song? Uh, is there a definitive answer? The interlude where a man gets up uncomfortably close to the microphone. And goes, oh, yeah. Be quiet. Big boys don't cry. Sorry, I take it back. I like this song a lot, except for that. Part. Except for that part. It's funny when I was. I think I blocked it out of my memory. I think when I was listening to this song, I was like, eh, that part came on. I was like, is there a single version that I can slap on this playlist? <laughs> so this was a really big hit. Had you heard of this song before? I haven't never ever heard okay. of this song or this band or this band. Okay. So this band, 10CC, is a really interesting band. So they were formed in 1972. They were several other iterations of bands such as Hot Legs. And their 1971 album, appropriately, is called Hot Legs Thinks School Stinks. So there you go. Um, that is totally a 70s band name. It's Hot Legs. Exactly. Like a little thighs. Yeah. Five guys. <laughs> all are wearing really tight leather pants. <laughs> And like bouffant haircuts and stuff. Right. Jesus. So 10CC is a really goofy band. And there are quite a number of thematic threads that will culminate in 10CC just from stuff that we've talked about during the show. You know, the idea of bands, you know, that are perhaps not taken so seriously because they have kind of a weird sense of humor. Most people, if they have not heard the music of 10CC, they have heard the urban legend that 10CC was named after the average metric total of semen ejaculated by a male. I have heard of this band now, now that you're saying this. Oh my God. And what's interesting about that is half of the group says that's not true. And the other half was like, (laughs) yes, that's what we named it after. And that takes me to the other thematic thread that we keep running into on this show, which is the idea of artistic tension, creating interesting Mm. results. In this group, we have two guys who were pop songwriters, one of which Graham Goldman wrote songs for the Yardbirds, Herman's Hermits, Jeff Beck. So Graham Goldman and Eric Stewart were the unit in the band that were writing hits. One of the songs they wrote was this song, which is their biggest hit. It's just a silly face I'm going through And then the other half of the group, Kevin Godley and Lal Krem, they were studio musicians who joined the band and they were constantly going like, we need to do weirder shit. We need to be goofier. We need to mm. mess with our listeners' minds. And the other duo were kind of like, no, <laughs> let's be normal. And that created some really interesting tension artistically, kind of like how we saw with Roxy Music and Outcast. And then eventually Kevin Godley and Lal Krem Krem or whatever, they broke off and formed a group, a duo called Godly and Krem. They directed a bunch of music videos in the 80s and they also left to work on music technology. Like they invented Mm. these weird instruments and synthesizers and computer programs and stuff to push music forward. So 10CC, really goofy band, but also as evidenced by this song, a smooth soft rock band as well. But 
the conventionality fused really nicely with the experimentalism uh, of this group on this song, I'm Not In Love, because this song was originally written as a bossa nova song. Actually, it was like a bossa nova style song written by Eric Stewart and Graham Goldman. The uh, if we're gonna like break it down that way, the conventional members of the group, mm-hmm. and uh, they really didn't like it, and so they shelved it. But then Godly had this idea for the song where they would do this. According to Wikipedia, uh, Stewart spent three weeks recording Goldman, Godly, and Krem singing Ah each of them 16 times for each note of the chromatic scale, building up a choir of 48 voices for each note of the scale. The main problem facing the band was how to keep the vocal notes going for an infinite length of time, but Krem suggested that they could get around this issue by using tape loops. So Stewart created loops of about 12 feet in length by feeding the loop at one end through the tape heads of the stereo recorder in the studio and at the other end through a capstan roller fixed to the top of a microphone stand and tension the tape. If you're interested in how they continued to solve this problem and basically like created from scratch their own Mellotron of their Mm. voices, all singing every note of the chromatic scale, uh, just like go to Wikipedia and read about how they constructed this. So If you haven't guessed already why this is my choice for science, uh, they created a pop song out of uh, a science experiment, basically. It was a huge hit. It's very poppy. It's a a wonderful soft rock song, but it has this otherworldly, ethereal, pre-synthesizer magic to it that makes Mm -hmm. it kind of haunting, makes it kind of otherworldly. And they accomplished that through my favorite thing right? Artistic tension. In this case, which I think is even more interesting, two groups of people butting heads for like, we want to just be normal. No, we want to be crazy. Mm -hmm. And it's very appropriate that the more experimental duo branched off to develop instrumental technology. It's always so nice to have like, you have to have an element of weirdness in your pop, right? Or else you do. Or else it doesn't, it doesn't doesn't last. Yeah, it doesn't stand the test of time for sure. And of course, you know, the song. Yeah, the songs that Godly and Krem then kind of had fuller control over. If you listen to 10CC, it's like it's either your cup of tea or it's not because mm-hmm. then it tips over into just being too goofy, too Frank Zappa-ish. But they hit a really nice kind of synergy during this era. Very good choice. Uh, well, let me talk about my song, which Ethan, I'm just going to say off the Ethan, bat. Ethan. No, let me just say it. Let me just I'm gonna, say it. I'm going to destroy you. <laughs> <laughs> let me just say off the bat, okay. this song is not good. It, <laughs> I chose I, it because Ethan, it fits. Ethan, can I just, can I just say? <laughs> Jesus. Ethan, I agree. Okay. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. I chose a song because it fits the category better than any other song, not because it is the best song. So Dame will win this point. <laughs> For argument's sake, let's just- a sacrificial uh, <laughs> choice you made. Yeah. Sacrificial choice. Walk with me down the road of the one and only fish with a PH. Yes, we're going to talk about fish. I am going to scratch, but the 
tiniest bit of the surface of fish because this is like same level of insanity and in crazy fandom as Grateful Dead. So there's like much, much more that could be said about them. Mm-hmm. The song I chose is called, well, now here's something interesting. In the song, they pronounce it Golgi Apparatus. Mm-hmm. The actual way you pronounce this, because it is actually part of a cell named after the person who discovered it, mm-hmm. Golgi Apparatus. Well, no, they were eating bulgogi when they <laughs> they got really high and were eating bulgogi bowls. And so they they named I it that. Bulgogi Apparatus. <laughs> so the song is Golgi Apparatus. <laughs> the amateur biologist in me scoffs at this. <laughs> and it is from the album spelled J-U-N-T-A, which... Again, they pronounce junta. <laughs> I swear to I swear to God, but it hey. is spelled the same as junta. Fish. Fish is a band. They are a a the dreaded jam band. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are from Burlington, Vermont. Uh, they all went to the University of Vermont. They are made up of Trey Anastasio, John Fishman, Mike Gordon, Paige McConnell. Trey Anastasio. Fun fact. I visited New York City, God, this was like 10 years ago now, got into Manhattan. I was staying in Brooklyn and my first day in Manhattan, I get out of the train. I come out of the train station, finally made it to Manhattan after traveling all the way from Boston. I get out of the train and I literally physically bumped into Trey Anastasio. And I was like, you have made it, baby. You're in the big apple. (laughs) Anyway, um, so they are. Don't forget to say they are also beloved by Ben and Jerry. They are beloved by Ben and Jerry, who I'm sure also love the Grateful Dead. So Fish is a jam band. I feel like every generation has their jam band. So it's like Grateful Dead was, you know, our kind of like baby boomer generation. The 90s kind of Gen Xers had Fish. You know, we have like Umphreys McGee. There will be a jam band that comes along for Gen Z. Where does the... Where does the string cheese incident, are they the, the silent generations? Uh, <laughs> yeah, who is, who is like the silent generations jam band? That's a question for another time. Louis Armstrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting. So like the story of Fish is the story of a band that has like literally no hits. I don't think they ever cracked above the Billboard top 50 in like mm-hmm. adult contemporary. Right. So we're talking a band has sold millions of records, but kind of like an IV drip of records. And really the way that they made their money was because they got this huge following. And yeah. a lot of the huge following, actually, Dane, I'm going to make you upset here and compare them to your favorite band, Ween. Mm-hmm. But their following is due to all of these like inside jokes and goofy exploits. Yep. So they had an entire album that was written based on a thesis project that one of the members did at UVM. Mm-hmm. They worked with this local Vermonter luthier to make these like custom instruments that you can't <laughs> find anywhere else. Yeah. They distributed a bunch of albums that were only on cassette that never had names and there were like Mm. seven of them and you had to get the white tape and not the blue tape and all that stuff they even had all of these inside jokes kind of like how audiences at the room are where like if you're watching the room which for those of you who don't know is this like cult film that is known because it is so incredibly bad mm-hmm. or rocky horror picture show is a better example right there's a call and response yeah when you're in the there's just yeah a set of things you're supposed to know to do like in the right. room if there's a picture there are many like paintings of spoons on the wall. So you're supposed to throw plastic spoons right. at the screen. And, and the so point. they have sort of similar things. Again, it's just you build this cult following like the Grateful Dead. People would follow them around on tour. Yeah, you well, know. I'll say well-earned. 
you know? Yeah, good on them. And apparently I was shocked to find this out, but then also not shocked. Fish has performed 64 concerts at Madison Square Garden. They are only behind two other acts in terms of number of performances at Madison Square Garden. Could you name one of the two? Uh, you too? Nope. Am I in the right arena? One of them is British. Okay. So are, are from they the uh, Isles? Um, Coldplay. Nope. Both of these artists are white men, as you could expect mm-hmm. for Madison Square Garden crowd. Both of them uh, are known for piano playing. Elton John. Elton and John. Billy Joel. Billy Joel. There you go. Elton John and Billy Joel. So two of like the most iconic, well-known musicians of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Fish. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. that's Fish, you know, whatever. There's like deep wells of fandom that you can go into. This song... I chose this song not just because it talks about specific parts of a cell and that is very Mm -hmm. science class, but also this song was literally written by Trey Anastasio when he was in the eighth grade. Before he even knew how to play guitar, he wrote the lyrics to this song. And so once they formed the band, he went back and was like, oh, I wrote this goofy song about a Golgi apparatus. That's kind of sweet. And then I like that. Which is nice. But again, I was thinking high school science class what is more high school and more science class than a song that you wrote in science class and then the last reason why this speaks to me about high school is of course when i was at summer camp in the ninth grade who would introduce this to me but a summer camp counselor (laughs) yes and he said hey man you like music you play guitar you know fish and i was like fish that sounds funny what's that Hey, man, forgive the odor emanating from my Birkenstocks. <laughs> Give me a little bit of your attention so I can tell you about this great band. And uh, hence, yeah. my mind was corrupted forever. It's really funny. You've been very vulnerable with me throughout our whole friendship about like the, the things that you liked or used to like that are maybe a little not hip, but you have never approached talking about fish with me because you knew Because this. here's the thing. It has got to be one of the like handful of things that I, I did genuinely like this album when I was in early in high school, it's one of the only things that I have no nostalgia for. Like there is right. no part of me that's like, oh man, that album. I, I want to throw back that on. That out. Yeah. <laughs> Listeners don't listen to this song. Just know that it's goofy and it's about a part of a cell. And Listeners, I apologize for the clips that I have to edit into this episode. <laughs> I'm not surprised that you bring up Ween because it's actually, it's interesting because Ween has a song called Roses Are Free that Fish began to cover because they, mm. they really like Ween. <laughs> and Ween in typical asshole fashion, they found out that Fish had turned their cover of Roses Are Free into, it was a Fish live staple. And they were like, oh, we need to start playing that a lot now so that we can like steal it back from Fish and not have our song be associated with Fish. But yeah, like I think like any erroneous accusation you can make about Ween, you can actually make about Fish. It's just like goofy. It's not serious. It's overly jammy. The fans are 
annoying hippies, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, actually, one last point about this song. So I was looking up more information about the song. I went into Fish, of course, has their own Wikipedia. Of course. And the person who wrote the article for this track was like, so... Yes, the song is named after this biological part of a cell that produces proteins and lipids and shoots them around the cell. And like technically it's pronounced Golgi apparatus, but like who <laughs> even cares? It literally was like, what does it matter anyway? And you were <laughs> like, sitting there on your computer, like feverishly editing the wiki, the wiki like it does matter. <laughs> it's just like the most like fan thing to say, like, well, yeah, they may have pronounced the name completely incorrectly, but like, who cares? It's the music, the, man. The guitar line's crunchy. Well, one thing I will say is that the the coda of the song before they crash back into the chorus, I actually thought was pretty good. I didn't think they like earned it all that much, but I did think it like sounded. sounded yeah, but good. if this song was 15 minutes long and you were really, really high, you would be yeah. like, oh, that was amazing. Dane wins the category. Yeah, but you know, good on you for sticking your neck out. Thank you. That's very kind. Uh, let's move on. Let's we move we on. have let's... left science class. We've put Let's, the the smell of patchouli oil behind us. Well, actually, we're now entering, you know, depending on your drama teacher, again, the smell of patchouli oil. <laughs> different, <laughs> different. All It's just all oil all day. Ethan, um, real quick, did you, were, did you take drama classes and enjoy drama classes in high school? I did not. I never did any drama. I think that was probably a huge mistake. I think I would have loved yeah, to do more acting. Really loved it. But uh, I did take a course when I was at Grinnell. Oh, I remember uh, that. Which I enjoyed quite a lot. But yeah, I never did a lot of drama. Would it surprise you to hear that I was big on drama in high school? Not at all. Not even <laughs> a little. I know you wrote a play, didn't you? I did about my grandpa's, their experiences in World War II. But yeah, we are in the realm of drama. We have left STEM behind and we're in the drama room now. We're in the black box theater and you're surrounded by kids who all just want attention so badly. <laughs> Ethan, what is your choice for this setting? Well, let me tell you, this is attention getting for sure. Mm -hmm. I chose the song Molasses by Hiatus Coyote. It's so good. The song is so yeah. good. So if you don't know Hiatus Coyote, they are, I didn't know this actually, but they're uh, from Melbourne and they are Melbourne. a, Melbourne. They are a very hard group to categorize. Oh, uh, they're a group. They, Interesting. They are a group. Yes. Okay. So they're a group. Um, they're affronted by the enigmatic Nye Palm. That's N-A-I, last name P-A-L-M. They play, they play music, that's for sure. It's like prog R&B. Yes. Ooh, that's a really good way <laughs> to describe it. Yeah. And um, Nye Palm is the epicenter of this group, undeniably. She is absolutely incredible musician. The story of this band is Nye got together with these musicians. They started playing. They released this debut in 2012 called Talk Tomahawk, T-A-W-K, of course, all the, all the misspellings you can get with this band. And in this episode. And in this episode. And this pronunciations. And after this album was released, they got really public endorsements on social media from luminaries of R&B. So Erica Badu, mm -hmm. Questlove, Prince, Prince himself. That's very interesting that you bring that up because I was thinking, first of all, I mean, I'll let you keep talking about it, but I specifically thought of Erica Badu. I was like, this is yeah. Erica Badu on steroids. Yeah. And uh, I was thinking of the extremely intense stutter stopping yeah. weird drag. I was like, this is like Questlove on Voodoo, like mm -hmm. Angela, mm -hmm. like it's very heady R&B. Any 
ended up happening is they kind of blew up. They got all this attention. They said, holy crap, we've got to release a follow-up. Their follow-up was the album that this song Molasses is from, which is called Choose Your Weapon. It's like over an hour long. Every song goes in 15 different directions. They have since been sampled by Kendrick Lamar, Drake, Anderson Pack, Beyonce and Jay-Z. Like they are not just artists in their own right, but they're artists that luminaries within the hip hop and R&B world gravitate to. Man, again, just getting back to Nye Palm. So she is the singer. She plays guitar. She writes songs. She plays keyboard. She also made the art for this album. Mm. She just like has it all. There are videos of them performing live where she has the most audacious outfits on of like chain mail. She's a visionary. reason I chose this for drama is over the top. Everything about this band is over the top. You've got the nonsensical lyrics that are like totally high school slam poet. I'll just read some. You're the one on top. Relic with an armored heart. Color of sulfur banished to a single arc. What the fuck? (laughs) There's this part like towards the last third of the song where, as Dane said, it kind of goes into this like breakbeat. When I first listened to this, when you put it on the playlist, this song is under five minutes long. Mm. And I mean this in the best way possible. When that part started happening, I like got my phone and I looked at it and I was like, surely this is minute eight of the right. song. I, I wanted to check how long it had been going on. It was only going on for like three minutes and 45 seconds. Mm-hmm. Like that's the places that this song goes. Usually the kind of thing that happens in a nine minute long song, but right. they do it all under five minutes and it's uh, incredible. Yeah. yeah. This song is just so great. I really, really like this band. Clearly, I really like this artist. And it's just dramatic in the best way. Thanks for helping me discover this because it, yeah. was, it was awesome. Well, you have an entire 60 minutes more of, of album. And they yeah, just released their album in 2021. So yeah, check it out. Yeah, Very good. Let's talk about your choice, which is dramatic in a similar but different way. My choice for drama is Blazing on a Sunday Afternoon by Queen. I don't need to explain Queen to you. Thank God. Uh, (laughs) You know, they're in the pantheon. So I'm not going to like tell the whole story (laughs) of them. One quick thing is that this could have been my choice for science. Do you know why? Oh, is it the Brian May thing? Yes. Brian May has a PhD in astrophysics. I actually, when I took an astronomy class in grad school, I like asked the professor about it and he was like, yeah, he discovered something that is like actually important in the field, (laughs) which is like really cool. Brian May was studying astrophysics in college and then dropped out to be in Queen. And then after that had written its course, he went back and, and finished his research. And he is Dr. Brian May and also Sir. I was so going like, to say, I think he's, in, he's been knighted, right? Which I don't understand how that works in England. Are, are you Sir Dr. Brian May? <laughs> Dr. Sir Brian Doctor. May? No, isn't there a title that you can put at the end? Uh, CBE. There you go. 
I, I could have been was actually my original choice for science was was this song. But then I got to thinking. So this song, Lazing on a Sunday Afternoon, is from what is pretty universally considered Queen's best and most consistent album, A Night at the Opera from 1975. Mm -hmm. It has Bohemian Rhapsody on it, which I'm looking right now has uh, 1.7 billion listens on Spotify, that. which is uh, not bad for a classic rock band in the streaming era. Yeah, this is a great album and it's great because Queen is mostly a singles band, like their mm. their strongest work are their singles, but here is where they leaned into what made them so appealing, which was that they are a rock band like Led Zeppelin or Black Sabbath, but a rock band populated by theater kids. Yeah, totally. I mean, like that is the formula. And like, why do people love Queen so much? Why are they one of the greats? I think it's because they are like Led Zeppelin, but they're just so fun. Queen were so good at having a backbone in their music of satisfying, obviously, pop song craft and metal songwriting and like really beefy, satisfying, just rock songwriting. But it was also so ridiculous and they owned their ridiculousness and that's what made them yeah. so, so good. In, oh, yeah. in that vein about yeah. ridiculousness. So I think back to when I saw Chance the Rapper, he had his magnificent coloring day concert at White Sox Stadium and I went yeah. and he had Alicia Keys and John Legend and Lil Wayne and they were all on stage in front of, you know, 70,000 people and Kanye showed up and it was like insane and people were storming the stage and, mm -hmm. and then Chance came up and it was not a good show. I and I think that, the yeah. reason why is because in order to have a stadium song, you have to be really over the top. Yes. And I don't think Chance is like an over the top artist. Right. And then you think about Queen and you're like, what could be more over the top? Right. It's just the most royal, elegant, extravagant Opera. music. Right. This album is called A Night at the Opera, Night at the Opera like, yeah. for a reason. And like opera singers need to be able to fill the room, not just with their voice, but with their personage, with their mm -hmm. with their personality. Mm -hmm. And like Freddie Mercury's voice and personality could do that. Brian May's guitar personality could mm -hmm. do that. And like, yeah, even with a song like We Will Rock You, that song is so hardcore, but it is ridiculous. And this is not all to say like every artist should embrace the ridiculous side of themselves because that's hard to do, mm -hmm. you know, or else you're just a novelty group or previously 10 CC. It can just like tip too much into goofiness. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. Queen was such a rare combination yeah. of not taking themselves seriously and then also being able to pull the full force of their powers to like focus in on being ridiculous mm -hmm. taking their ridiculousness really seriously mm -hmm. so this song it's like a one minute interlude at the beginning of the album this album starts with death on two legs which is you know very dramatic and then we get to lazing on a sunday afternoon which is a bit of a music hall interlude I mean, it's a British Victorian era songbook tradition with like rollicking piano and stuff like that. And really like it became hip in the 70s because it was a way to sort of, I mean, especially for the kinks, kind of satirize British conservatism and kind mm -hmm. of like play around in that tradition. The solo in this 
is uh, my favorite Brian May solo. I like it so much because I think what Brian May was best at, his guitar solos often hug the vocal melody mm-hmm. in a way that feels very familiar and satisfying, but also he would veer off enough from the vocal mm-hmm. melody to make it exciting and new and a justified kind of bridge. Yeah. And so this like utterly ridiculous music hall song then suddenly just rips into this Brian May like scorcher. Especially you listen to Bohemian Rhapsody, there was no pitch correction. There was no way to tweak things and blend things and make things sound exactly so. You just naturally had to be able to do it. And a lot of people say like, well, you know, you guys have these like incredible layers of harmony and how do you get it? And there's interviews where Brian May is just like, yeah, we just sound really good singing together. I don't know what to say. And when you talk about, you know, singing acapella, which I did in college, a lot of times you talk about blend, right? So, or any kind of choir or vocal group, how do the voices blend? Background singers tend to have these kind of more neutral voices because you don't want somebody's voice to stick out, right? If you're a background singer, you want it to blend. Queen had this natural, for whatever reason, incredible blend. And so I actually think they benefited less from studio magic and more from the fact that like, they just had like four people in a room who sounded really fucking good together. Comment really quickly on what makes Brian May's solos so good. He has a signature guitar tone, but I think what you're getting at about like the guitar solo tracing the line of the melody, I think the best guitar solos or instrumental solos period are ones that you can sing mm-hmm. almost. Right. Are ones that, so I'm thinking about the solo, one of my favorite guitar solos of all times, George Harrison's solo in the song Something. Mm-hmm. You can almost sing it. In your head, you know what it sounds like, but you can't quite actually vocalize that because it's just slightly too fast and slightly too complicated. And it makes you want to go back and hear it again and again. And I think Brian May also so good at that. Like, I'm going to give you something that's really catchy, really singable, but not quite. And that's so compelling as a listener. Right. Well said. Mm. Yeah. So that's my, uh, I, you know, you can't, you can't say too much about Queen. So you just got to pick a few topics of Queen, but. Queen, welcome to the Chorus versus Chorus uh, Pantheon. Biggest honor <laughs> that they've ever received lives. in their lives. Uh, and if you've never listened to A Night at the Opera and you need a little drama in your life, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I'd say that was a tie. So oh, yeah. good. Absolutely. Something old and something new. Mm-hmm. And now next we're going to do something borrowed and something blue, <laughs> which almost kind of kind of works for yours. It does kind of work, quite yeah. Uh, our final category is P.E., I hated PE, except for when we played (laughs) floor hockey. I was pretty good at floor hockey, Mm. which is quite interesting. But I hated running. Mm. Don't we all? So it's kind of relevant to to my choice. My other ones were maybe a little clever, but I just chose a song that you would do Taibo to. (laughs) (laughs) I see. Ah. Like I just chose something that you uh, have to get up and dance to, but there's also a little bonus uh, lyrical connection to it as well. My choice is Soy Yo by Bomba Estéreo. It me. It me. Had you heard of this group before? 
I have never heard of this group. Was this not the hottest shit you ever heard? It was pretty great. You know what it reminded me of? The band CSS. Oh, I remember that band? Yeah, but they're so much better than CSS. <laughs> and they also are very musically diverse. They have a lot of songs mm. that are quite beautiful as well. They're, they're a great group. They're from Colombia. They were founded in Bogota in 2005. Kind of like a production singing duo. Mm. Uh, Simon Mejia and then Lee Saumet are the group here. And then there are other members as well, but they're kind of the core According to Wikipedia, their sound has been described as electrotropical or psychedelic cumbia. And mm. cumbia is, of course, the national dance and folk music of Colombia. is just a jam it's it's definitely something i like have traumatic memories of being forced to do taibo in pe but it maybe would have been a little less traumatic if bomba stereo was was playing and then the other cute convenient retroactive connection that i'll make is you know pe pe is a class for a lot of people where we don't feel like we're accepted for differences and how our bodies basically function. If, if you lack athletic ability, if you hate running and can't do it well, like PE can really be alienating for, mm. for a lot of kids in school. As important as PE is, as important as it is to get kids active and moving around during school, it can be, especially depending on your gym teacher, it can make you feel bad about yourself mm -hmm. if you're mm -hmm. if you're not good at it. So the chorus of this song in Spanish, they say, and don't worry if they don't approve of you. When they criticize you, just say, it's me. high schoolers listening to this right now first of all i'll ask you to turn off the podcast and go to bed because it's a school night and uh secondly remember if you are a, a weird dork like me uh with a strange body that doesn't work the way you want it to just remember that you are you and that's okay and eventually you will get old enough where nobody cares anymore and that is a great age <laughs> Yes, it is. That age is called after you die. <laughs> ah, yes. Perfect. <laughs> so that's my choice. Do you think this was hot? Very hot. Yeah, no, I want to check this group out. I had they're, never heard of this group or this song, but I love it. They're great. They're, they're yeah. All their stuff is worth exploring. Nice. Uh, Ethan, tell us about your choice. Let's end on a bummer note. <laughs> <laughs> on a bummer note. Yeah, I really had to shoehorn this artist in, honestly. I've been listening to this album and this artist a lot lately. So I chose a song that was kind of like closest to PE. I will say like the whole vibe of alienation is something I also experienced in my physical education. So this song resonated to me for that reason. But I chose the song Grown Up by Laith Ross. This is off of her album, Motherwell. Laith Ross is a musician from Ontario. Ontario. On, a. How did they say it? A? <laughs> just, just throwing an A and that's it. Ont Ontario. 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 She is famous because of TikTok. 
This is the first artist that I became aware of through that social media medium in particular. And it's interesting because TikTok is such a weird social media platform because like things that I thought had no chance of getting popular via social media have an opportunity to do so on TikTok because it lends itself to people reading things a lot more and listening to things a lot more contemplatively Hmm. than like pictures on Instagram. It's all like video content. There's no pictures on TikTok. And so there's a lot less really rapid scrolling because Mm -hmm. you know you're going to sit there for at least 10 seconds to to watch a video. Mm -hmm. Whereas like Instagram, you're just kind of like next, next, next. So she just has these songs that are so heartbreaking and so intimate. This song is off of her debut album, Motherwell, which was recorded, as she says on her website, in one afternoon on the floor of her dorm room with some friends, which is (laughs) pretty fucking impressive. That's impressive. I can remember the feeling of being small Praying to a God I don't believe This song is basically about growing up, right? Being a grown-up and continuing to kind of learn how to be a a grown-up. And one of the lyrics that stuck out to me is kind of this idea of like falling and and losing your tooth, um, which (laughs) I didn't lose my tooth, but I chipped my tooth in gym class once. And so I was like... You fell so much. Dude, you have no idea. I've had so many minor and major accidents. Yeah. But um, I... Again, I just wanted to shoehorn this artist in and I have listened to this song in particular a lot because I'm I'm a sucker for grand sweeping metaphors about life. And mm. man, there's a really good one in here. Towards the end of the song, she says, oh, what a wonderful feeling to own and operate your life. Oh, what a wonderful feeling to own and operate your life. What a perfect way to sum up adulthood and growing up. And being and again, on that cusp in college, especially. Right. And, you know, getting back to the idea of like, we're in our high school classroom, you know, this idea of like, okay, so, you know, I'm supposed to be an adult. Like, what the hell does that mean? Oh, cool. I get to decide when I go to bed and when I wake up and who I hang out with and where I go. But at the same time, now those decisions are my decisions and the ramifications of those decisions are mine. And like all those decisions I'm making are feeling pretty bad, <laughs> like make yeah. me feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. So I should probably just, adjust. It's crazy. I just think the song is really beautiful. Definitely not something you do Taibo to, but like, what a, what a songwriter. Yeah, I think I need to listen to it a couple more times. I I wasn't able to like grab on to much yeah. of it, but that tends to happen with acoustic songs with me. I think I need to allow it to bloom a little bit more. Yeah, it's definitely, I, I think it benefits from close listening because again, it's, it's, I will say this album is, it can get pretty samey, but like if you're in that headspace and you want something contemplative and you want to like really like listen to a story, you really want to listen to a message, like this is a really beautifully written album. Yeah. Nice. 
Um, who gets the we point? Made it, we made it through. A, oh, you get the point. Are you kidding me? Come on. I finally win. I feel like I haven't won many episodes in, uh, in quite some time. Right. Yes. Thank I, you for I, also... I gave you two softballs here. You <laughs> I mean, did. Anytime you include fish in a competition. <laughs> but thank you for ma- reminding me I need to listen to more Margaret Glaspy and for yeah. teaching about hiatus coyote. Oh, um, so good. Ethan, let's leave, uh, let's end this episode on a note where we give one piece of advice to a current high schooler. Jeez, mm, Louise. What's yours? You go first. I have to think about it. My advice is You that do it every day. Come on. I do. My advice is to learn MLA formatting, you jerk. <laughs> <laughs> My advice is that, yes, this all hurts, but you're going to miss it when it's mm. over. My advice would be, the thing that you love doing the most, you should keep doing for as long as you possibly can, because eventually it won't just be the thing that you like. It'll be the thing that you're good at too. And that will mm. feel amazing. I really like that advice. And there are times in my life I wish I'd, I'd followed that. I have yeah. one more. I have one more piece of advice. Go, hit me. I want it. For high schoolers and for, for everyone. If you liked the song clips that you heard, in this episode <laughs> I now tra- this folks is called the transition <laughs> i am the transition king today go to the spotify official chorus versus chorus playlist and uh if you are happy that we're back send us death threats through instagram you know <laughs> yeah and like, let us know tag your friends in the death threats in the so death threats so that it so that it, it kind of increases our engagement um ethan i'm happy to be doing season two with you i think more germane to what you were just saying i really enjoy doing this same thing i enjoy uh doing this with you so listeners i hope you enjoy it as well love you all love you bye